Tonight's Shapeshifters had a colourful career. Hawker to Harvard. It's got a nice ring to it. Rali Mampeole is the chief executive of Padima Group Holdings. Rali, how did you get into the property game? It's a lovely story. Good evening, Bruce, and good evening to your listeners. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have... um, uh, met a gentleman by the name of Charles Everett, who owns a, a, a real estate company called Chairs Everett uh, during my metric time. And uh, I had a chat with him to find out what it entails to get into the real estate industry. And I was fortunate enough that uh, a couple of uh, uh, months later, once I've graduated, um, he gave me an opportunity to start doing some drops. And uh, for uh, the olden days before we could send... Um, you know, using the the the, the customer, you know, customer uh, systems of emails and others, we're doing drops in the in the northern suburbs of uh, Bryanston and our hide away from dogs and all of those things. <laughs> you, 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 you sort of go over the, the important bit here, and that is how to get the attention of somebody who is influential, who runs a big business, who clearly can help, but who may get approached by a whole lot of different people all the time. Uh, some people are, are very good at being open to approaches. Other people are quite hostile to approaches. How did you make the connection with Mr. Everett that, uh, that you did? I think I was quite um, consistent in, in, in saying this is what I want to do. And he obviously said, look, Riley, you don't have a car. For an estate agent to sell houses, you need but a car. where did you meet and, him? I um, mean, did you just meet him in the street? Did you so, go to his office and harass him? <laughs> what, what, what so, I, so, 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 <laughs> so I was quite fortunate enough that um, um, I was studying at Rand Park High School here in, Ren, in Renbeck. And, um, yeah. you know, he stayed down the road from uh, close to the, to the school. And I used to see his son, Paul Everett, and him quite often when I cycled to school. And I then had an opportunity to actually approach both of them in separate times. And I end up with the old man that actually gave me the chance. And he said, look, you don't have a car. Um, I said, look, I'll do the drops. And I started by doing the drops. And I end up borrowing an old Cressida from my parents. And I started being an estate agent. And yeah, the rest is history. (laughs) The drops. What are the drops? I mean, this is something in the estate agency business. Clearly, that is very common. But uh, for the rest of us, what are the drops? And and is that like an So yeah, so yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so so basically, uh, Bruce is actually a marketing. Um, it's actually a, a, a sales and marketing um, uh, uh, jargon that we use in real estate. Basically, what you do, you drop the pamphlets, you know, of saying um, Charles Everett sells properties in this area. These are the last sales. You know, it's it's actually a marketing um, okay. uh, job that I started with. Yeah. How long did you do the the drop job for? Um, I did that for about. Uh, uh, eight months, and uh, just a year later, I was fortunate enough to become a, uh, an assistant estate agent, and I started, started selling um, properties with an, with the, with another agent. And that's where the whole story of Bidavos Raw started because I needed to get extra income because cash flow in real estate as an estate agent takes time. So you sell a property today, yes, you're going to make twenty, thirty thousand rand um, after ninety days. So within that ninety days, you still need to survive. So I started a small. I went to Kalami and I bought a bit of us, uh, uh, um, a bribe machine and I bought my first bit of us and I started selling there. And two months later, I think two months later, my sister started to help me and we started to hire somebody else to do that for me. So that was, uh, and uh, that helped me to be able to push and started to get into managing to buy my own car as well. And I started becoming a full-time estate agent. 
but within three years, you running your own franchise, you, you get a franchise. I and mean, that's pretty quick, isn't it, by anybody's standards? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I agree, Bruce. Because what, you what you're, 20, guy, you're, 20, you're 22 years old by now. This is, I mean, you, you're a youngster. Time, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true, Bruce. So what happened is that I always say to people, you do not need money to make money in real estate and, and sometimes also in some other industries. And it sounds really, really cliche. But what happened is that I went again to Mr. Everett. I said, Mr. Everett, I see that we don't have a franchise in Madrid. Can I please buy one franchise in Madrid? He said, you don't have a one million rand. You know, it's almost equivalent then of buying a McDonald's franchise. How are you going to have a franchise? I said, well, can you give me the franchise and I'll pay it later when I make money? And I was lucky enough that he agreed to that. We did a, uh, um, uh, a payment agreement. I got my brother and uh, CEO of um, Chesavet, Barry Davis, to buy 20% of the business. They raised the working capital. Um, and I think within a space of 18 months, I had bought them out after we ran the franchise. <laughs> and I ended up owning the whole franchise um, uh, 100%. And um, we also paid off the Everest because we were lucky to... Uh, I was actually lucky to sell a big development that uh, that I bought uh, at that time. And again, okay, Bruce, okay, just to no, tell okay. You, yeah. no, explain to me again. <laughs> you, you you like to brush over things. I was lucky to sell a big development that I happened to invest in. It doesn't strike me as luck. I mean, yes, you know, we we all have luck, uh, but you thought about something. You'd seen a piece of land. You'd uh, become involved in the development. And then got to sell that development. That development sold out, which then earned you a nice big fat wad of commission, which is great. But that's not luck. That's strategy. And it was you'd made a series of strategic decisions um, in that process, surely. I agree with you, Bruce. I mean, you know, at that point in time, I didn't know that this is really what we call hard work. But now looking back, definitely you're quite right. And I was fortunate now because the same principle that I did with the, Mr. Everett continued with this developer, Jerry Baker, where I basically, again, offered him 30 million rand for a development that I didn't have money. And I, it was during the good time before the NC, NCR and CA come in. And I managed to sell to different develop, uh, different investors by empowering them to buy three to four uh, uh, townhouses or units that they can use for, for rental. And with the different sales, I then managed to get guarantees that I were more than 37 million rand. And I, I managed to pay back uh, the, the Chesavet franchise. I also did guarantees back to pay the developer. And that's where, that's where it all started. And uh, this, is, this is quite high-level stuff. I mean, this is, you, you've not gone to university. You've not done applied maths. You've not um, got a business degree behind your name at this stage. How are you learning the art of the deal? Because you've got you've developed for yourself a reputation in the property industry of being a deal maker. Is this just something that is instinctive to you? You know, Bruce, that's quite a very uh, touchy and quite an important question. I must just say to you, believe it or not, I did a seven day training with the Everett's with the um, uh, uh, for, for sales. And that seven-day training changed my life to where I am today. And you will know that, obviously, at the later stage, I did go to UNISA and I studied for a BCom and I did my Harvard studies as well. But that seven days, one of the training that I will never forget. But funny enough, at that time, I was reading a book called The Old Book of uh, Robert Kiyosaki, you know, and, and all of those... Well, rich rich Dad, training, Poor Dad. Richard, I, I can still say to anybody today, go back and yeah. buy the first versions of those. 
Absolutely. It's the only decent book he's ever written in his trade. <laughs> Sorry, I, I mustn't be unkind. But um, it was a remarkable book, and I've not enjoyed any of his others nearly as much. Let's be diplomatic about I it. Agree. Um, I agree. As, as, as much as that book, which was, it was a life-changing book for so many people. And it, I suppose that, that was your MBA, was it? It was my MBA and my seven-day training at, uh, at Indran Park Ridge. The you then sold the franchise back to the family. Um, what was the catalyst for that? You you you'd pay you'd paid for it. You'd made your money. You then sold the franchise back to the family. Why did you want to get out of the property franchise business? We we were in the space where um, we were talking about uh, black economic empowerment. A lot of deals were happening during those times. We could hear the, some of our role models, the talkers, Juarez, were doing the BE deals. And obviously, I had some 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 interest in in, in arranging those type of opportunities, and uh, I had to uh, unfortunately sell the franchise so that I can look at other opportunities. And that's when we started the Parima Group Holding Investment, and obviously, we had a little bit of uh, capital from the sale that we did of the development that we sold in Midran, and I started buying a lot of land. And I was in an opportunity where I could start investing in in small businesses within the real estate industry. Okay, so now again, brushing over the detail, um, the, the buying of land. Um, what what opportunity were you seeing that others were not? So basically, uh, what we did there, Bruce, was that um, there was a lot of opportunities of land within the Midran area. This is, I mean, I stayed in Vona Valley and in Midran. This is even before the likes of Mark Corbett and the mayors could actually do a development and attack here in in Waterfall. So there was a lot of land around me when I was studying at Junisa. So I started buying land around the area. Um, and also, I also bought a lot of stuff in the in the East Rand. And there was still, most of it was still agricultural piece of land. And we used that base to then create um, about five, six years later, a fund of a one billion rand fund, which is now called, uh, we created this fund called the South African Housing and Infrastructure Fund where we basically wanted to accelerate delivery of affordable housing in South Africa. Now, so the, I mean, the short name of that is SAHIF, the South African Housing and Infrastructure Fund. Take me through that, if you would, because that seems to be something quite remarkable in a, a, a private sector a, a, attempt to get more people into decent housing than than happens at the moment. Yeah, yes, Bruce, you know, so just before, you know, obviously this sounds like a, a nice story, but I might just say, you know, I said Ella and some of my friends that, you know, you can listen today, but I want to just say as well that, Bruce, it's important to know that throughout that process, there were failures as well. So we we, we lost some money, we made some money, but we, we, we kept on going. But what happened is that I did a lot of deals. For example, we we did a transaction where we, with the ATAC, the listed company here at Waterfall, where we yeah. bought an office block called Waterfall Point, uh, for a couple of hundreds of millions, and uh, we, we, we then sold it back as well. But I then realized that obviously as an industry player, you I got involved in small shopping centers, lost a bit of money, made money, and all of those things. And I then later on realized that we are sitting in a country where at that time we were having about between three and four million rand shortfall in, in, in affordable in, 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 in the housing. And I then always had an aspiration of getting involved in that space. So I left the whole sector of commercial, industrial, and the high-end uh, industry of the PEM Goldings, the Chairs Everett, to start this fund, which we call it the South African Housing and Infrastructure Fund. Where we saw the opportunity, Bruce, was that um, the listed companies that deal with affordable housing, like Cosmopolitan, 
um, and, and and others, and including the the NGOs and the the, the public uh, the government, they were struggling to turn the land around in a quicker time. So you, there have been times where we find that people have got budget to 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 deliver certain units in a financial year, but they're not able to do that because the land is not ready. Money gets back to be given back to um, different managements, the treasury and, and funds without spending it. And while people are still struggling with a bit of housing in the country. So we then created this fund. Um, I had a, an opportunity to be uh, joined by our CFO, who was ex CEO of Rebosses, uh, Camille Keshaf. And he had the experience of understanding how to form funds and all of that, because I was coming back from a background of... Um, you know, an estate agent not understanding how to put things. So one of the things that I've learned is that always hire the smarter guys than yourself. So we put the the, the, the fund together with Camille Keshav and our team, and it was launched about two, two and a half years ago. And um, we raised money, and uh, we also did some transaction with some farmers, and uh, here we are. And we want to accelerate delivery of affordable housing in South Africa. Who is the customer in the affordable housing market? I mean, is it the is it the person who buys the house? Is it government? Is it a local authority? Who is it? So, so, so our our client is Bruce is actually the end user. What we do is that before we used to buy land and we'll offload it to this listed company, NGOs, and and some government entities. But we realized that the land still takes time for it to turn around. We then started to put the actual services so that the the the, the people that the the clients that buys they get a ready-made land. So we sell to individuals. So we've got a program that we've just launched, um, uh, just in November that is called Housing Access Program. Basically, what we do we say to anyone who works for government, who 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 doesn't have housing, and anyone who doesn't have housing, they can contact us. We'll be able to come up. We've got different product, Bruce, that include things like incremental building housing. We can sell the stand to the individual using um, an installment sale. We are able to, to 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 use alternative building technology with the clients. We're able to clean up a client that it might be blacklisted, and be able to help them. There's also a lot of funds that are available in the pension-backed um, fund uh, where workers have saved money over the years. They're not even aware that they've saved 40000 50000 rent to 100000 in their own capacity as government employees and that they can use that money for a deposit. The, the, the banks are still scared to play in that space because they were banned a couple of years. I think this was in 2008. And I still think they're not aggressively playing in that space. So with this housing access program, we are going to be able to connect different individuals and connect the dots. What motivates you? What, what what drives you to do this work as opposed to a, a far simpler approach to you could be running your own estate agency enterprise, but you, you're choosing a far more complex path uh, to developing not only a business for yourself and for future generations of your family, no doubt, but uh, providing access to people to get a roof over their heads. I mean, is that the motivation? This is a motivation, uh, Bruce, because, you know, after a while when you push and you succeed in business and you still have a long way to go, you always think about what impact am I going to leave when I leave the sector that I'm in. And I really thought that the the, the housing, it's a, it's a space that one can definitely be able to make a difference. You know, in this country, we're struggling. But one, one of the other things, uh, which is quite funny, Bruce, is that um, I had an old man who had passed away. His name is Chris Labusasni, and he worked with me in development and uh, he told me this about 10 years ago and he said to me rally if you want to live with the rich build for the uh, build for the for the poor and if you want to if you want to live with the rich 
<laughs> you must then you must build for the rich. I mean, you must build for the poor. So, no, exactly. so precisely yeah. that you know, there's there's also an opportunity there. But but at the end of the day, it's not about the money. It's about the impact that we make. And we still have a two million shortfall uh, housing in this country. We need to help our government to make sure that we don't have. Um, uh, you know, we can solve this issue. It's, 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 a, it's a big, it's, it's a crisis. We are having a housing crisis in South Africa. You know, it's, it's a housing opportunity, clearly. Um, <laughs> when it comes to the business opportunity in an economy like ours, in an economy where, uh, if you look at the expanded definition of unemployment, we're approaching 50%, it just doesn't feel like an economy that can absorb much more sort of formal housing, that these sorts of projects that you are looking to develop and want to continue developing and helping people to find decent homes, um, do we need different funding mechanisms? Do we need a different way of looking at this particular problem? Or can the system that you've developed keep functioning effectively? Spot on. I, I did indicate earlier on that the banks are still a bit nervous in terms of getting into the space fully. They're trying, I must say. However, um, what we need to do is that, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to be at, in, in Boston at Harvard studying there, and I met a lot of different um, uh, developers around the world. And the main thing is that we have a lot of people, uh, Bruce, that are running small businesses in the country, in Tabisa, the, the lady that is selling tomatoes and potatoes. We need to make sure that we look after those people and understand how they make money. Somehow those people are earning five, 6,000 rand every month and yeah. you can be able to build product that can suit them. So if you look at areas like India, that's what they do. They're actually using digital banking to make sure that they can be able to find out what these guys are, are renting and where they're renting, how much they're managing to rent and be able to give them an opportunity for them to own a home. So the product of the housing access program, it'll be dealing with those type of things. You're gonna, we have family members that have started buying land and they, they build a house over five years, six years. That's the reality of where we where we are as, as, as South Africans and Africa in all, you know, in, in, in its all totality. So it's important for us to understand how does the local people look at home loans and change that. So we're doing joint ventures with different home loans companies to make sure that we can we can respond to the entrepreneur that has got a, a butchery, that has got a small hardware in the townships and manage to look after them and actually show them how to do incremental housing. And um, also there's a lot of opportunities with macrofinance institutions where um, they're quite expensive, but they also have some creative ways on making sure that they can finance that, that, that LSM. Because, I mean, just the traditional idea of taking out the 20-year mortgage and paying off a fixed amount in every single month is increasingly unachievable to you know, more and more people simply because job security isn't what it was. And we do have to be creative. We do have to think of it uh, more carefully. I mean, you say the banking sector is making an effort to do things differently, um, but are they open to experience, guidance, advice, leadership perhaps? Yeah, I think we're busy engaging with them via the home loan division, home loans uh, companies like Better Bonds and others. But the bottom line is that the reality of one of the reasons why we are having so many, so many informal settlements is because we have not ag allowed um, some of, of of the entrepreneurs and our people in South Africa to to allow them to build houses over a period of time, but give them the, the right guidance, the right engineering, guide them and give them. And I can see that uh, government has announced. Uh, the rapid land release and that's going to actually work very well because we will be able to guide that lsm to be able to say look this is what you could do in partnership with different hardwares so incremental house building housing is one of the things 
that we need to try and see if that can make a difference versus just thinking that we can just give people housing. So there is a sector that can, there is a market that people can be able to buy. I mean, Bruce, let me just tell you now, if you look at the, the backroom dwellers uh, industry uh, sector, it's a 10 billion Huge. rent industry yeah. with no formal player, no formal player. So the goggles and the guys that are doing the, the backroom dwellers in Tembisa and Soweto are earning 10 billion. The Pem Golding and the Chairs are earning 17 billion rand per annum with so many competition. So it's a space where we need more players to come in and actually formalize a space in terms of increasing bulk in the township and be able to go high rise uh, to be able to deal with the affordable housing in South Africa. My but thanks to you. I was about to close. We've got 30 <laughs> seconds, Rally. Um, your, your final so point. It's, I'm captivated. My final point was, the final point is that for us to know what that market LSM is doing, we need uh, internet. So we invested in a company called Metrofiber, where we are giving uh, 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 internet to, the, to that market so that we can be able to do digital banking and others and be able to help them to be able to build their own homes by tracking their income. There are incredible things happening in our economy, and one of the key players in making those incredible things happen is our shapeshifter this evening, Rali Mampeule. Thank you very much, Rali, for coming through for us this evening. Chief Executive at Padima Holdings, also the founder of Sahif, and helping um, people find uh, get housing. And I love this idea of incremental housing, this idea of building as you go.